absolute pleasure of having Horace Patel, CTO for Seracare, on the call today. Seracare is probably the fastest or one of the fastest growing medtech or startup businesses in Europe. Launched in November 2016, grown from zero to $160 million revenues and EBIT positive in just four short years. So it's obviously become one of the fastest growing businesses in Europe. And they're now at six and a half thousand employees, with over 50 offices across the country. And Horace has been the main driver around building that tech function. So then, yeah, as I say, it's a great pleasure to have you uh, with us, Horace. So uh, obviously that's a little bit of an introduction for me, but it'd be great to uh, hear a little bit more from you. Tell us a bit more about yourself and uh, your business and your experiences so far. Thank you, Patrick. Hi, everyone. My, my name's Horace. I'm the CEO here at Seracare. And I, I joined Seracare about two and a half years ago. I guess in terms of my, my background, I am a technologist by trade. So I started as an engineer a couple of decades ago, working in pr- primarily kind of the logistics and recruitment industry and started, as, as I said, as started as an engineer, but also worked in data for many, many years. So going from practical coding into kind of data and data management, then moved across into, I guess, team management. So building teams across product engineering, data, data science, and then kind of focus specifically on data strategy, business intelligence, and kind of AI and innovation. I'm following, I guess, that that kind of continuous trajectory. I moved into an operational role, and that was primarily um, to better understand businesses. It was it was really for me to broaden my understanding of how technology impacts businesses beyond kind of the, the front facing consumer side of technology, where I was really looking after financial HR. Um, and business operational software, building out robotic process automation, kind of RPA type functions, as well as other automation. And, and that really led me onto, the, onto joining Sarah. And as Pat said, I, I joined Sarah about two and a half years ago when we were still fairly small and kind of really enjoyed the continued growth through the business. So obviously in the two and a half years that you've joined, you've gone from, uh, you know, point A to, to where you are now. And what, what's that journey been like to see the business grow so much? Obviously, it must have uh, been lots of ups and downs in that time, but um, yeah, it must have been, as you say, pretty exciting. It's been it's been interesting. I don't think I don't think I or, or many people will, will get be fortunate enough to work in a business quite like like our own. I mean, we're not just a technology company; we're an operational business at the same time. But we've gone through, I would say, what we what, what you'd consider a, a startup, a scale up, and now into kind of a health tech company within the last two and a half years. So when I when I joined the business, we we were really about forty people in our HQ, and we had a few branches that were in care from an operational perspective. So quite quite a small startup kind of. Made mentality, if you will, and through through kind of acquisition of other businesses and through kind of internal growth, we've we've now got to that six and a half thousand staffing number um, that you mentioned earlier. So it's it's been it's been an interesting journey, to be fair. But then for me, I think I think the main takeaway that I I've had from from this journey is about balancing stability and adaptability. I think for for businesses like ours. You can grow. Anybody can grow a business really quickly. You know, we can we can all find headcount effectively. But to be able to to grow a business in a you know both an organic and an inorganic way and stabilize and support that business is is really difficult. And that's probably where our businesses have come. Having to to obviously on one side we're we're kind of first and foremost an operating care business, so we're delivering care into thousands of tens of thousands of people's homes where we have patients or elderly people who require kind of constant support. And on the other side, you've got innovation where we want to build software and we want to test out new things, which at the end of the day are, are being built to try and improve that first part of our business. But there's risk associated with change. So that, that balance between ability and, and adaptability is probably my major takeaway from, from having been in this business. The only way businesses grow like this 
is through having the right people. And that's that's not just that's not just the right staff we're hiring. It's also having the right thought leadership, the right stakeholders, the right investors, especially in a business like ours, where where we if we just chased technology alone, there would be high risk for for our business. To say that the growth's been been amazing and the setup and how you've gone from where you were to where you are is pretty staggering. A number of sort of CTOs uh, of startups or tech businesses that we speak to say that the biggest challenge is building their tech teams and building out that function. You've obviously mentioned that you know you can just add headcount as you wish if you want to grow, but that's not sustainable. So how have you found making that balance of building a tech team sustainably whilst obviously having to deliver and, and everything else? What's that been like for you? To put it into practical terms, we grew our tech team from four people to 130 in less than 18 months, pretty much. And that poses a huge number of challenges. I think for us, we, we talk about we talk about obviously the, the people element, so hiring, which is hugely important to, to us. And we've had to work with partners like like Coltec, obviously, to support our growth. And and it comes back to that adaptability point. We we pick and choose partners to work with that have that have our best interests in mind and are able to work with us in an adaptable way. So one of the things that Coltec really put us with was actually being quite dynamic about the way we employed people. We knew that we needed to hire a much larger number of people than we could sustainably bring to the business comfortably in a very short space of time. But we also, we needed strategic plans to grow that team over time. So we kind of utilized the skill at Coltec alongside our own internal capability to kind of build out a core team, knowing that parts of that team would have to be replaced pretty quickly. Building teams is hard. Building the right team is even harder. And finding the right kind of, I guess, the right mechanisms to grow teams is, is hugely important. And Coltec have obviously been a huge part of that alongside our outsourcing partners that we use and just finding innovative ways of kind of filling gaps, really. We went down all, all the way down to the path of kind of monitoring businesses that our investors were in touch with and working with our investors to actually look at whether or not those, those businesses were in need of support. So during COVID, as an example, we reached out to every one of our investors and talked to their businesses about retaining their staff. So where other businesses were struggling with staff members, for example, we moved the staff over to us. I, I guess another tactic we've been talking about quite a lot of is, is kind of remote working. It's it's a huge thing. And alongside our, our growth, the whole industry has shifted quite considerably. Um, so growing at a time when remote working is becoming more commonplace was both a bit of a blessing and a curse because we we had to we had to really think about how we can bring staff on quickly but safely. So we we've come up with some methods internally around processes that allow us to bring in staff but keep them away from any of our kind of mission critical code or or kind of or segment that from from newer staff members while building teams and, and enriching the team over time. And again, that, that's been part of what Coltec have supported us with in, in being able to bring in staff immensely quickly, but also um, allowing us to test in-house. So working on kind of pilot schemes where we've, we've been able to bring in staff, have them kind of working on, on, on almost fake code, if you will, and testing out the developers in-house for a short period of time and then deciding whether or not that individual would remain as a contractor or a permanent staff or a fixed-term staff member, as well as kind of reaching out to multiple locations. Obviously, mentioning the sort of pandemic and what you mentioned there, it's having the remote working and being able to then look at, right, where else can we... Because obviously you had the HQ in London originally. There was obviously unsustainable to be able to hire everyone in London. So having the ability to hire people remotely and look across Europe has probably enabled the growth a lot more than potentially it might not have been something that you looked at pre-pandemic. 
Um, so it probably helped having that remote option. Yeah, for sure. I think it changed, changed the way that we thought about hiring. We, we actually were fairly remote before the pandemic and that one of our co-founders is based in, in Prague. Um, so we've always had part of our development team and one of our technical leaders out in Prague where, where obviously some of our developers are here in London. So we've been fairly agnostic. I think what COVID really did was it meant that we stopped trying to hire in London almost entirely and we just hire where, where people are best or where, where the best talent is. I think, again, really thinking about these things strategically before we put our plans in action. So we, we worked alongside the guys at Coltec to help define the strategy around hiring. And that was not just who we're going to put through Coltec, but also some of our other hiring tactics. So even our internal hiring mechanism is really close to the Coltec team. And effectively, we're just sharing that learning a little bit so that we can think together strategically about actually, when do we want to bring in staff members and what type of staff do we want to bring in? So that could be, we need a permanent person at the moment for, let's say, a DevOps role. But we, well, sorry, we need a contractor at the moment for a DevOps role, but we know that that role needs to move internally. We were very open in that relationship with Coltec and, our, and, and with everyone we've worked with to really open up our strategy to all of our suppliers and say, actually, let's work on this together and find a way to actually blend our models. And that's worked particularly well. And on the remote side, I think we now have 70 offices actually in, in the UK, and that's across England, Scotland and Wales at the moment. And we actually allow our staff to work hybrid across any of our offices or from home. Because what we found is although we're hiring a large number of people remotely, not everybody wants to work remotely forever. People see it as a, as a necessity for the moment, but actually some people actually prefer being in cohorts. So one of the things we've started to do more and more is look at building out cohorts or hubs in particular locations so that if there are groups that want to work together, they are within traveling distance of each other. So if we take Portugal as an example, which is one of the locations we hire in, we predominantly hire around Lisbon and Porto because they're, they're kind of big hubs that where, where people go towards. And if we hired more rurally across the country, that would mean that those individuals would almost never see another Sierra staff member. But at least if we keep our hubs in, in kind of more centralized locations, we can run events and try and build teams with kind of the culture that we expect, at least the core values and culture that we expect across multiple locations. What we've managed to help, like, you know, what you've, what you've built and that, and, you know, we're really, really, really proud to have, uh, to have been a part of it, a small part of uh, being able to set that strategy and, you know, by offering solutions around that. And I think one of the key things for any business going through growth is being flexible and being able to look, look at different models and having the right partners to be able to do that. So we're, we're really, really proud to have been able to help you on that. Aside from scaling and, you know, having a pandemic to deal with, has there been any other uh, like big challenges, like, um, like maybe the relationship between health and social care or how that's, you know, any other challenges that that, that, that may have brought, brought up? Obviously, operating a, a business in, in an industry like ours is hugely challenging. I think before we go into kind of health and social care, I think one of the biggest challenges for any tech company operating software is moving from from kind of being a real technology building company to a, a technology operating company, there's a huge shift in, in the company dynamics and, and the way we build technology. All of a sudden, we have to think about SLAs. We've got to be thinking about kind of maintenance windows and, you know, all of these things that prior to delivering software um, was less of an issue. To do that in an industry where if, if our software is down even for 10 minutes, that could be, you know, that could be a person or yeah. people at people's stores trying to get in, actually rely on our technology to enter someone's house to deliver care, it can be quite dangerous. So really, I think some of the biggest challenges were really trying to understand 
the operating business really well and understand what that meant for the way we build technology. I think I think one of the biggest limitations that I've seen in the growth of technology teams is they ignore the operating side of the business. We almost build technology in a, in a bubble, in a silo. And one of the things we did here very much so from, I guess, going back to my previous operational roles was we built our technology team around the, the operating business so that they were first and foremost our customers and innovation is a separate element within our business. So we kind of we almost have an operating arm of our technology business and we have an innovation arm of our technology business. And actually one of them can be a bit more tactically aggressive, while the other has to be really concerned about maintaining kind of stability of the platform. The shift from, as you say, building to operating and making sure that oh, that, that I mean that, that that's something that a number of businesses obviously come up with. So that's that's really good insight there. With that in mind, the challenge is moving from a startup to a scale-up to a technology operating business. How can business, like, what have you seen as being one of the reasons why some of the, you know, some startups succeed, some don't? And, you know, how can businesses best prepare for success? Because obviously you guys have had tremendous success and, you know, the awards that you've won and everything else. I suppose you can't prepare for that, these things happen, but how can you prepare for that? Or what advice would you give? There's so many reasons that startups succeed or fail, right? Um, when we talk about kind of the economic climate, the industry you're in, there are so many variations to success or failure. Well, one of the things that we've learned, I guess, watching other startups, both successful and, and failing, it's really about timing in terms of how or when apply fundamentally the way that we actually build software, the, the messaging we want to go out to the market. A lot of my my role now is really investor-facing where, where I'm working with. I, I always say, I, I say my job is to fold really at this point one is recruitment and the, and the other is kind of managing the investor relationships and that because actually you know as, as our businesses grow the best thing that we as leaders within a business can do is build the team below us that's as strong as possible and that's probably my biggest advice when we're looking at kind of failing and, and succeeding startups it really does come up to come, come down to talent and I often give the advice to the directors under me that their job is almost to build the ground underneath themselves. And I think one of the things when we when we look at leaders and who we bring into our business, we've got to bring people in who are not afraid to hire the best. Because I think in this day and age, hiring an engineering, a director of engineering as, a, as an example, who's concerned about you know being kind of replaced by their own team isn't going to get you any further. Actually, in a business that's growing as fast as we are, we're all elevating upwards as the business grows below us. So our jobs are changing on a quarterly basis. I, I actually think that when it comes to hiring in particular, there's almost a, a lack of foresight that goes into to hiring. One of the things I teach the, the team below me is that we really have to spend a huge amount of time preparing before an interview and preparing for the roles that we hire because it's a chore and it's really difficult. So people often forget that part. We, we rush through through interviewing and we don't really think about actually if, if there's a hole in the team that needs filling, let's say we need to hire a, a security specialist in the team. It's really hard to hire that because we ourselves have not done that job. I haven't for sure. You know, I haven't spent 20 years as a security specialist. Um, but actually gaining advice and understanding that role to a high level of depth will ensure that we hire the right person. And the second part of that is kind of the, the team and cultural fit that everyone always talk about. As a business culture, we're a startup ourselves, right? So as we grow, obviously our jobs have to change and hiring a team below you to for succession planning and making sure that the values are carried through the business are huge important. So that's advice, not just for tech startups, but for any business as they as they look to grow. So yeah, a great piece of advice there. Thanks very much, Horace. So, uh, just, 
One, one thing I always tell everyone, everybody, I've, any, anyone I've ever worked with, regardless of role, if you're in an interview, the best thing you can do is spend like 15 minutes trying to understand what you're trying to get out of the interview. Because I think often we prepare questions. I'm in a position now where when we're hiring developers, I can't join every developer interview. There are far too many interviews with us hiring. At the moment, we have close enough to 56 open roles in my team as of yesterday. If I was to sit in, you know, the number of interviews that would take us to hire 56 people, we would just slow down our hiring capability. So I try and spend five or 10 minutes with every candidate that I think is going to be successful or 15 minutes. Um, but the one piece of advice I give to everybody, you need to understand the role that you're, you're playing in the interview. Really think about what you're trying to get out, whether you're, I mean, part of the interview has to be about testing the candidate. The other part of that interview has to be testing the way that your team are hiring. So looking at kind of the leadership hiring within your team and spending time testing kind of the, the interviewing skills of your team members, because that's really what builds your team well. And as I say, that then leads to the succession plan and everyone being on the same trajectory and the same mindset of what it takes to join your business. And then if everyone has that, it makes for much more uh, successful, as, you, as you've shown, much more successful business. So not to ask you to repeat yourself, but um, we're going to wrap up in a minute before we take any questions from the listeners. If you had one piece of advice to anyone who's looking to go through the, the, the scanning journey or a similar journey that you have, one piece of golden advice, what would it be? One piece of advice. Right for contact. I think it comes back to what I what I said earlier, actually, around kind of balancing between what you're trying to do. I think obviously having a strong strategy to start with is really important. I think, um, uh, and for me, strategy is both something quite complex and something quite simple at the same time, because you, you need it to be understandable. It's got to be relatable to any anyone kind of trying to enact that strategy. But for me, stability and adaptability are the two kind of key tenants of the, the area we're driving towards. And I think helping people to understand why you're doing what you're doing is probably the, the biggest thing you can do. We've I spent a lot of time, not just in technology, but across our entire organization, building out our objective frameworks, our, our kind of our vision, our strategy, our blueprints. And that is probably the easiest way of making sure that everything that we're communicating across the business is understandable at every point. And, and you just can't spend enough time on that strategic piece. Thanks very much for that, Horace. So strategy is always very important and making sure that, that that's implemented in the right way is, um, yeah, is, is, is clearly a key to success. We've had a number of questions. One of them that come through is, what were some of the ways that you personally coped during such a stressful period of hypergrowth? I think it's a great question because it's so necessary. I think looking after ourselves as, as you're trying to go through this journey and something so intense is is really really challenging on, on top one thing we didn't talk about actually was during covid while we were in the middle of our growth we were actually called upon by the department of health and social care so the government in the uk to help support the recruitment for social care for the entire sector so i went off for four months and was building technology alongside the government in coltech where it played a huge part in that project at the same time we were running and growing this startup which in itself was more than a full-time job and at the same time, we were now going off to build something amazing, but really intense for the government at the same time. And I think that was the moment when I realized I couldn't, I, I couldn't do it without a level of support. And I actually had to bring in an executive coach to support me. So I think, I think outside of our own networks, and, and I have, I'm very fortunate to have a really strong CTO network here in London, and well, actually in London and Germany, really. On top of that, I, I sought kind of external support to help guide me 
because it's it's so stressful at times that we often talk about, you know, social styles or kind of a number of kind of capabilities for ourselves. But if we're not acting as our best selves on every single day, we're detracting value from the teams ourselves and from, from the business. So my, my advice there is actually just understand and seek support when you need to, whether that's through personal networks, whether it's, you know, somebody who doesn't know anything about your business, like an exec coach, where you can have an honest conversation about yourself and your own personal development. Obviously, mental health and mental mental well-being and dealing with stress is is a huge topic at the moment, and, and rightfully so. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a great piece of advice for us, and I think that um, something that we should everyone should take very seriously. How did you manage to, uh, you know, onboard people so many so many staff so quickly? The truth is, finding finding the right partners is is probably the the best thing you can do. And I was fortunate enough that I had quite strong relationships again with a number of different suppliers that we worked with for outsourcing, for kind of contracts, for projects and so on and so forth. And Coltec were a huge part of that. As I said earlier, we built a relationship whereby we could test candidates really, really quickly. But the other side of that internally was that we had to build a really, really strong onboarding process to kind of bring candidates into our or new new starters into our vision and what we're developing and why. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think we got that right every step of the way. I don't think anybody does. We definitely found that we built teams and I would go back into that team maybe two months later and realize that actually they went 100% clear on why they were building. And I would go back and spend time with each of them. So I, I now spend, we, we now have 12 squads effectively, so 12 teams, each between kind of you know, seven, seven to nine people uh, as a kind of typical scrum. And I drop into two teams a week, every single week, to try and do a bit of a deep dive to understand what's happening. And that allows me to test the product capability, the delivery capability, and the engineering capability within that team, and really just make sure that the direction and the vision is, is really, really clear. Where it's not, then obviously we work with them. We've also had the, the challenge that everyone has with kind of poor staff members. And, and very early on, identified that, if we didn't figure out who those people were and remove them from the business or, or remove them from those projects at the very least, that we would be in, in a lot of trouble because not, not everyone for our businesses and recruitment's hard. It's not always easy to identify that during kind of the interview process. So making sure that we catch it as early as possible is, is really important. So I'd say a review and kind of intercept is what I do in those instances. It's got to be a really, really agile process, or really, and it's and it's going to have lots of iterations around it, like and you know, stumbling blocks. You might think you've got the perfect way of onboarding people or the perfect way of doing things, but you have to be ready to change at pace to be able to get people onboarded. It sounds like a, an oxymoron, basically, or counterproductive, but you have to be able to change really, really quickly, or be able to get people out, and able to grow. If that makes sense, if they're not the right people. So yeah. And, and I think it really depends on the market. I mean, one of the things we did with yourselves, Pat, and you'll know this well, is we effectively gave Coltec the ability to just put staff directly in. So we didn't interview staff during our highest hyper growth period because we just couldn't bring staff in fast enough. So we actually worked with Coltec to kind of work with a message for the candidates so that they were aware that we were starting a role with an opportunity to be hired, but they would be paid for that, for that almost kind of short-term contract, if you will. And that gave us the ability to test candidates, as I said, in a kind of segregated area really, really quickly without having to go through the interview process. So we might bring 10 candidates in in a week and we would decide on the best three. And, and those candidates would be kind of fully aware that that was the process that they were 
they'd be paid for the work. Obviously, that only works if there's a high unemployment rate. We were fortunate enough to be working in a market that kind of allowed for that through, now I wouldn't say COVID alone, but through the fact that we had high international reach. That was an interesting and unusual experiment, I'd say. It worked really well. <laughs> so in terms of the care sector, what do you think has drove such a need for change and growth in care? I think the market itself, actually. I mean, if you look at the care sector itself, if we just look at the aging population as a whole, right, as a planet, our population is growing at a rate of 7%, which basically means people are aging and they're living for longer. And the result is that those people are not always living their best lives until their, their last day. The need is coming from demand, effectively. I think the reform that we're seeing in the UK as an example as well as across multiple other countries at the moment, is just driven by that demand. The WHO, WHO actually just put out a, a report on safety and advice for social care for the next 30 years, so a plan towards an ideal outcome. And reading through that really shows that there's a significant need for change that as a planet we need to resolve across almost every population. No country, I think, has it right. So I think the, the need has been driven by demand. And the response is driven, obviously, in countries like the UK, Germany, the US, Australia, and so on first. But I think we're going to see more and more of this in the next kind of 10 years. I think we're, we're seeing a natural shift. I think the second part of this, at least in the UK, is around the underinvestment in the sector. So in the UK, obviously, the NHS is, is well known to provide kind of healthcare to everyone, but that doesn't cover social care. So with social care, it's funded through local authorities in the UK. In Germany, obviously, it's done through the government funding in the US. It's done through insurance providers. But there isn't specific funds that are, are, are large enough to kind of support innovation and care delivery. So for the last kind of 10, 15 years, although we've known change is required, there's nobody actually investing in change. They're only investing in delivering care. And that's why, I guess, startups like ourselves or companies like ourselves really exist because we're not investing just in delivering care, we're investing in building technology to change the way that kind of healthcare can be delivered. You mentioned about different locations and growth around the world. Is there plans in the next few years for Sarah to, to take their, uh, their, their business elsewhere? We'll obviously want to make sure that every market we go into is fully com 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 kind of covered and complete. So we don't have any ambitions to leave the UK. I think we'll, we'll continue to operate in the UK consistently for as long as we exist but i think the question around international is is an interesting one i think there's definitely going to be an opportunity for us to either work with other partners or other businesses whether it's through our technology or whether it's operating businesses in those countries i can i can definitely see a shift towards supporting the industry more globally i really 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 appreciate your time some amazing insight there from us at coltech and me personally and you know to see the business grow so much in the time that we've been working with you and see it in the four years that Sarah has been open has been is staggering. So uh, congratulations on that. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'll let you get off because I know you're, uh, you've actually, if anyone who doesn't know, uh, Horace is actually uh, very, very kindly taken time out of his holiday to, to, to conduct this uh, with us, even though he's, uh, this is the only week he's ever going to have off again <laughs> for the foreseeable future. So uh, I really, really appreciate your time. As I say, for everyone who's listening, the link's going to be saved and we're going to be sending it out for, for we've recorded the session. So look, Horace, thank you so much. Some wonderful insight there and go off and enjoy your holiday, mate. Great. Thank you all. Thank you very much.